You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm solo, and I'm going to get real and vulnerable. And I'm going to tell you about a failure I had on a recent shoot. Now, I decided I wanted to be like real in this episode because I feel like we live in a world where information is is highly curated. In some cases, entirely staged. I'm talking about things like, <laughs> I love it in the beginning of, of the Jumanji movie. There's this female character who works really, really hard on lighting and environment and the angle of the camera. And she, she works hard to get it just right so she can take a photo to put on social media. And then she comments with the photo, just rolling out of bed, as if like she just barely woke up and took a snap of the photo. Totally staged it. Totally worked super hard to make it look just the way she wanted. And I feel like that's that's how we see things a lot today. From a photography perspective, we tend to see only like the best, finalized, fully processed images. And photographers don't, they don't put out the images that didn't work, the images that led to those images, the preceding ones. They don't publish shots where everything else was perfect, but they missed focus. They don't, you don't see that. We, we don't see the 300 other shots that came out of a shoot with varying degrees of bad to okay to yeah, pretty good. We only see the shots that are really good and that they can be really proud of. And it makes sense as a brand for a photographer. You don't want to put out those other things because that's not something anybody wants to pay for. You don't get any clients for the images that aren't perfect and great. And so I totally understand it, but it gives us this false sense and not just photography, even go outside of photography. It's kind of the danger of the world we live in with social media telling us this lie that like, Everyone else is perfect. Everyone else has everything going just how they want it, and we don't. It makes us feel bad, and it can cause an emotional thing, and, and photography is no exception to that. So I'm going to provide some media today <laughs> that, that is not that. I'm going to tell you exactly how I failed <laughs> on a recent photo shoot, and, and we're going to see if, uh, if it makes a compelling podcast and something for you to think about, maybe just commiserate with. Maybe it's just going to be like, hey... I get it, man. I've had failures too. And, and we can like be failures together. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I also think that there's, to some degree, I don't think all of this should be viewed as failures. Now, in my case, this was totally a failure. And I'll, you'll, you'll see why. But I also think you need to, we need to have a mindset as photographers that some of it is just being creative. It's, it's part of the creative process. Like we need to try out new angles and new compositions, maybe new lenses, new lights. It's how we explore doing something different and something it, it means we have to be uncomfortable in what we're doing. We have to push the boundaries of our own limits so that we can grow and we can learn. And that absolutely means we're going to have failures. It means we're going to be like, well, that didn't work. But then you know that didn't work. 
and you know what to do. Or maybe you'll be like, well, that didn't work, but I think I know why. And I'm going to try this next thing and this next change. And so failures can be a really good thing. Now, it wasn't in this case, so we'll get to that and what it is. But it's it's a mindset I, I hope most of you have as you're listening to this. Don't If you're down because you see like really beautiful, stunning images coming from other photographers, and you're having a hard time getting to those same kind of images, it's a process. It takes some time. That's the whole podcast here, what we have on Master Photography, is trying to lead people that, to that. that. This is a path. There, There is a lot of work involved. There's a lot of learning and growth. And if you get too down, you may be tempted to give up. And I hope that this is a, a podcast, this is an episode, or together with all the episodes, this is something that can help you to be stalwart, strong, and stay on that path. Keep working to grow and learn how to do better, uh, how to get better as a photographer in your own way, through your own steps, through your own learning. All right, so let's get to my story. This is going to be a long story. Um, I, I hope it's going to be kind of fun for you to go through. I'd love to hear your stories too. Like as I post this, if you have a story about a failure that you would like to post on Facebook and help other photographers see that we all have failures, I'd love to have that kind of a response out there. Um, or the Discord server um, that I have set up for Photo Taco listeners. So you can go over to phototacopodcast.com and on the right-hand side, you'll see Discord is a big thing there. And you can go join there. It's, it's a place where you might have a little bit more flexibility to be able to make comments like this and, and tell a story like this. But anyway, here here's what it goes. So we're, we're going to start my story. This is a paid client shoot, which is... I think how a lot of failures end up happening because we get put under pressure. Like if you, I don't know, maybe you fail on your personal projects too. And um, especially if you're doing like you should and you're trying to push your boundaries, that's going to be true. You're going to have failures that happen there. But this is a paid client shoot, this particular failure that I just recently had. And my wife and I, we were hired to create some family portraits, which is great. That's We love doing this together. It's it's an activity that both of us really enjoy. We, we love being able to create images that families love and capturing that moment in time for them. It's like a very fulfilling thing for us. And, and I, I really, really like it. So um, this was a family that had actually hired us already in the past. So we were familiar with the family. It's a repeat client. This time, the family wanted to go to a place here in the West Desert land of Utah that's called the Salt Flats. It's a beautiful location where there's this like wide open, really flat. That's part of the thing that it's been used for. It's so flat. They do like races and speed competition things out there because it's just so naturally flat and always flat. Um, but it's covered, it's this desert ground that's covered by a few inches of salt. That's why it's called the salt flats. Yep, it's salt. And, you know, the Great Salt Lake and water, that's just kind of a natural phenomenon here has built this up. Miles and miles of this salt covering desert ground. Um, we've actually shot at this location numerous times too. So it wasn't like the failure doesn't come as a result of not being familiar with the location. We've shot there numerous times, and it's a location we've come to learn that is kind of challenging in that 
it is like uncomfortably bright during the day. I, you can kind of imagine you have this like really white ground that you're on top of. It's salt. It's white. It's totally bleached white kind of ground. And the sun then just reflects like crazy off it. So it, it makes it so that almost in any direction, it doesn't matter whether where you're looking, if it's like away from the sun or not, it's almost uncomfortably bright, making you have to like squint. When you first, when we first got to the location, even for the shoot, it's bright <laughs> and we're squinting. And that doesn't tend to make for good photos, right? If, if everyone in the image is squinting, that's bad. So we've learned how to deal with this location, and that's not what this specific failure is about. If, if you'd never shot here and you got on location, that might be a challenge. You'd be like, as you're reviewing the images, especially afterwards, you'd be like, why is everyone squinting? Like, I can barely see anyone's eyes. And that's it's because you maybe shot with the, the light being too big. And we knew that as the evening would progress, as the sun would go down, start to set, the light just becomes really cool. And you have this very unique environment to shoot in, and you can create some, some really beautiful images. Um, we can't control how well Mother Nature delivers on a really stunning sunset at this location. It doesn't seem to happen a lot. We've been out there enough now. It doesn't seem to really happen where you get like a super stunning image and, and or uh, sunset. Now, obviously, a lot most most stunning sunsets come as a result of clouds being there, and you can't really go on a really cloudy, stormy day out to this location. The location is created by water depositing salt, and it doesn't take much in the way of storminess to make it so wet that you really just can't go and use the location if it's wet like that. So um, so it, it's a trade-off. Like You're not going to probably get the most stunning of sunsets there, but you have such a unique environment, such a, a interesting location that the worst case scenario is really ending up with like a, a nice golden sky that doesn't have any clouds in it, but a golden colored sky with mountains in the background and this bed of salt that people are standing on. And that makes for a really interesting environment. Uh, the best case, you might have some wispy clouds that are in the background that are positioned just right over those mountains that you end up getting the sun reflecting off of them. That's what you can hope for, but it's hard to tell if Mother Nature is going to deliver on those. The, there's not really a good way for an app to even like predict, oh, we're going to have nice little wispy clouds that are, <laughs> are going to be just over the mountains and be able to reflect off of the uh, the sun. So you go into it just thinking, as long as it's not super stormy, because you just really can't use the location if it's super stormy, we're going to end up with, you know, something that is fun. And the background is not the focus anyway. It's the models. It's the family. That's the primary focus of this. But And it will be a, a really good environment to shoot in as long as it's not super stormy. So that's not even part of the failure here. Here's, let's get to the failure now. Let's, let's get to what, what it was that I failed on. Um, as you know, I don't do photography full-time. I work as an information security professional in my day job, and with this location being two hours away from my house, that's one way it takes me two hours to drive out to this location, it meant timelines were pretty tight. I had to finish my work at the day job, load up the car with the equipment we needed to do the shoot, and get on the road so that we could drive those two hours and be there in time to like 
warm up the family while we waited for the ambient lighting to get good. And I say warm up the family on purpose here. My experience has been it takes a little bit of shooting with all the members of the family before they really get into natural poses, positions, smiles. It's like they go through this mannequin phase at the beginning and it's like forced and and not natural at all. It's not just this family. It seems like only professional models have this ability to like walk into a photo setup and boom, we have perfect poses and smiling. Everyone else who doesn't do this all the time, you put a camera in front of their face and they they kind of act differently. It's not natural. It's not themselves. They tend you tend to warm up over time. That's the that's why I'm phrasing it that way. They tend to kind of become more themselves as you continue to shoot. But for the first little bit, and it kind of depends on the family about what little bit means, but you're going to have a bunch of shots where they're stiff, unnatural. Mom's going to look at them and go like, that's not you. That's not what you look like. And those aren't the images we want. So we always plan on doing a little bit of warm-up shooting with our clients Get them over the fact that we have this camera in front of their face. Get them used to it and make it so that they they can feel more natural. So we always want to beat the family there. We always want to uh, be totally ready so that when they arrive, we are firing away. We're like, you know, hi, we're we're so excited for this. This is going to be fun. Let dad like complain. <laughs> Sorry, it's stereotypical, but usually dad is like, ugh, photos. I don't want to do this. I don't want to pay for this either. Um, and and uh, we need to do a little bit of, of warm-up shooting with them so that they can get it. And before we really bring in the lights and bring in like trying to really zero in on getting these really good images, we, we kind of have to go through that. So we, we're leaving to get there in time to make that happen, right? We, we have, I, I finished work, I loaded up the car, went through my mental pre-shoot checklist, you know, I shared that a couple of weeks back, and we left. We weren't terribly late as we were going a little bit behind our target, like I think it's impossible for us to get out exactly when we thought we would. But we knew we could make up, you know, a few minutes on the long drive. And we heard from the family. They were a little behind, too. So we're good. Uh, we, we arrived at the location before the family did. Something, of course, we always want to do. And things were seeming pretty good. I got my light stands out of the car. And I was really excited because I was leveraging experience from previous shoots at this location um, to think about how I could do a better job with the lighting. Um, I, I had had good shoots at this location in the past, adding artificial light to the ambient light, mixing that in a good way had worked out pretty well. What I, but I wasn't fully happy with, or maybe I was thinking, how could I improve the lighting? Um, it was still a little harsher than I wanted it to be on the family in this specific location. Remember I did this whole like uncomfortably bright kind of out of normal situation. It's very different shooting on this location than it is others that I'm in. And so learning from that experience, the normal lighting that I would use where I've been a lot happier with like how soft the light is, it just isn't quite the same at this location. It's a little different. And I so I was excited because I had already thought through how I was going to do something 
differently this time to try to address that. I had this creative vision in my head. I had this lighting setup in my head. And so I was really, really excited because I had my light stands. I I'd thought about this at the last time I was at this location, which was only a few weeks prior. And um, I had wished I had had more light stands with me. I had enough lights with me, but I didn't have enough light stands to be able to get them positioned where I wanted. So I was excited. I had brought the light stands with me and I'd set those up. And then I was, I was mounting my lights to the stands when my wife was going to go and get the soft boxes out to put on the modifiers onto the light stands after I had the lights mounted. And she couldn't find them. She just said, hey, Jeff, where's the soft boxes? And I'm like, well, you should be right back there. And then as soon as I said that, I had <laughs> clearly in my mind, I didn't bring them. <laughs> I didn't put the soft boxes in the car. And I can't really describe. So first off, you know, two weeks ago, I'm preaching on this podcast about that pre-shoot checklist and how you need to make sure you have everything you need. Soft boxes. To make soft light at this location would be like at the top of my list. Well, I guess the light stands and the lights also really high at the top. But these th- those are really important to this creative vision I have. And my goal of trying to make it so that I have even softer light in this really challenging, bright environment. And I'm realizing as I'm putting this light onto my light stand, there in my room at home still. I clearly can see where they are in my head. <laughs> I can tell where they are, that they're not in the car, they're in the storage location we use for them, and I don't have them. And this wave of panic hits me. Like, enough that my wife could totally see it on my face. This wave of panic. I really need these soft boxes to realize the creative vision that I have for this shoot and they are two hours away. There, there's no store within it, like 90 minutes that would have soft boxes. I can't fix this problem quickly. I have to deal with this problem. So, how would you react? What would you, what would your reaction to this situation be? You have a family that will be arriving on location in minutes. They are not far behind you. They have driven two hours. to get to this location and they want this location because of some of the previous images that we've taken and those images incorporated the soft boxes that are not in the car they are at home (laughs) you don't have them how would you react how would you respond to this failure and it is a failure i failed i didn't put in the soft boxes okay So I want you to think about that. I want you to think how you would react to this. But I am so fortunate. And I don't know if I would do so well if it was left up to me on my own. But I'm fortunate I have my wife shooting with me. She's the better half of me in every way. (laughs) But as she saw the panic on my face and immediately started, she started to calm me down. She reminded me, hey, the style of a lot of family portraits these days is a lot of high-key lighting and uh, like as long as the skin is properly exposed that's kind of a style right now to have everything else be like 
bright, bright, even to the point of being blown out. And that's that doesn't matter as long as the skin is properly exposed, then the rest can go however it needs to be. So at worst case, we have that. All right, so I guess that kind of started helping me to calm down. But I went to the back of the car, and I'm okay. I need to take an inventory. What what do I have? And one of the the great things is. I didn't leave everything behind. I didn't leave all of the modifiers behind. I tend to, especially for this location, so that I have every option available to me. I have a car that is totally accessible during the shoot with the way this location is set up. So I can overpack. I can bring extra stuff, never use it, and that's fine. But if I need it, it's there. And in this case, I need it. Like, I forgot the soft boxes. So what do I have? All right. So I do still have my mag mod modifiers. Uh, I have a mag box, so 24-inch soft box. So I'm not without any soft box. It's a good one. I love using it for individual shots, but it's kind of small for lighting an entire family. I, I really wish I had my larger soft boxes to help me get softer light across a bigger group. Um, I have my MagMod MagSphere too. So again, another modifier that does pretty well with individuals, but I still prefer that softer light out of bigger soft boxes for an entire family. Um, I have two Mag Bounces. Um, I'm not going to go into what all these are. You can go look them up if you want to. I had planned on using the Mag Bounces, um, two of them in this shoot, as being the ex- the source of the extra light that I was going to try um, and see if, if that really helped. I wanted to kind of have that be light pointing almost, you know, directly to the family from the, the camera point of view. And then I was planning to use the big soft boxes on the left and the right. So I was going to use a four light setup in this shooting situation. And so I'd already planned on using the mag bounces. So I have some modifiers to deal with. I have some modifiers that are going to help. I don't have to go to like naked flashes that would be super harsh and be a problem and probably would prefer not to use them at all rather than having the harsh light that gets produced from those flashes. Um, but then, or, or as the sunset started going and I really didn't have enough ambient light, maybe the flashes, bare, naked flashes would work. But I didn't have to worry about that because I... I, I'm going to have some lights and modifiers to be able to do this. So I, I'm getting gaining some confidence as I'm looking at what I have available to me. It's not what I had envisioned. I can deal with that initial panic of being like, ah, it's not what I was going to do. But I, I don't have like a totally worst case scenario here. I can overcome this failure. I'm gaining confidence. My wife's helping me to gain that confidence. But now I have to move on to there is still another problem. I only have three mag grips, and these are, if you're not familiar with mag mod gear, they're these silicon sleeves that you put over the top of your flashes, the front of your flashes, and they have these powerful magnets to the sides of the sleeves. And um, that's what allows the magnet modifiers, (laughs) the mag mod modifiers to stick to the front of your flash because you put the sleeve with these powerful magnets on it and now there's these magnets to stick uh, modifiers to it. I only have three of those and I have four mag mod modifiers I want to use. I have the mag box, the mag sphere, and two mag bounces. So it means I have to throw out another element of my creative vision. I only get to use three of my lights and not four. I think it's okay. I think I'm going to be all right. I can make the best of this. So I just thought through it. I altered my creative vision 
to now include only the three lights. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I can make this work. I, 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 I'm sure I can still create some good images with this family and something that they'll be happy with. Like it won't be disappointing that they traveled two hours and I didn't, I wasn't ready, which would be completely unacceptable. Uh, as a paid client shoot, that's like the worst thing. I wouldn't even want to do that with family or somebody where it was a free shoot to have them drive two hours onto location only to say, I don't have what I need. <laughs> this isn't going to work. So um, I'm gaining confidence. My wife's helping me and we're going. They, the family has arrived. So here we go. Um, during the two hours that we had driving to this location, before I'd realized I didn't have my softboxes, my wife and I had already talked about how we were going to work this shoot. Anyway, we, we tend to do this on every shoot as we're traveling to the shoot. We're talking about what each of us is going to do, how we're going to approach this so that we work well together when we get there. We don't waste a lot of time and we're, we look as professional as we can be. So we, we were talking, we had tons of time anyways. So we talked about lots of other things, but this we also talked about how we are going to work together to do this shoot. Um, the plan was... I'm going to set up all the lighting gear and equipment. Um, you know, we, we assumed that we'd get there near really close to the same time as the family. We hoped we'd beat them there. We want to be there first before they are, but we, we planned for them being there close to the same time. So it would give me a little time to start getting the lighting, the lighting equipment set up. But then um, if the family came and it wasn't all set up and, and really the timing, we told them the time we wanted to meet, so that we'd have this like warm up period anyway, we talked about um, where the sun, we knew it was going to be like really harsh and it was almost futile <laughs> to try to battle with that harshness and, uh, and be able to get images with light, adding artificial lighting. So the plan was she'll take the family um, all kind of off to the side somewhere and where, you know, the cars and the lights and everything were not in the photo and be able to like just get some candid shots, just no lights, no artificial lights added to it, exposed for the skin, warm up the family, get them ready to go. And I'll set up all the lighting. And then as the lighting changes, as the ambient light changes, we'll move over into the setup that I created. And as soon as I have all the equipment set up, I would join them with like our, we have this big diffuser that we can use to try to, you know, add a little bit of shade or make it so the lighting is more even on the model. You don't have bright sunlight in some spots and shadows in others and be able to, um, to use that to, to modify the light a little bit with the ambient light. So I, I went over as soon as I had the setup, I would run over and start helping with that. And then when, when the light got, the ambient light got to a point where we felt like we could add the lights and really start getting the, the real shots that we're planning for, we would do that. So now I'm setting up my three light setup and I, I set up my mag box on the left, camera left, and the mag sphere on camera right. And I put both of them on light stands where the top of the light stand is above the heads of the family. And, or, you know, estimating it. I didn't have them stand there while I did this. And then point the lights down towards the family and towards each other, the, the lights towards each other. And so that's going to cause light to happen kind of on the sides of the family, both sides of the family. And then I would throw extra light in front of them by putting the mag bounce on a light stand 
in, in front of the camera, uh, but straight on to the family. And uh, I put it about half that height, like, you know, four feet or so. Well, about half the height up and uh, about four feet in front of the family and a little bit in front of the camera. And then the family would stand a couple of feet behind those, the mag box and the mag uh, sphere. <laughs> and we would, that was the general lighting setup. So three light setup, the two major lights on the left and the right, the biggest lights on the left and right, and then the mag bounce providing the fill light in the front to make sure that we don't have, um, you know, it, bright lights on the sides of the faces and no light in the front. Okay, so that's the general setup. I got it set up. I'm gaining more confidence again. I set up those lights and I even took a few test shots. I went, I, we had our second camera, our backup camera. I used that to create, to take some test shots, but the lighting was so, so bright. And um, I, I almost couldn't even see it on myself, but I've started, I gained even more confidence because I could, it wasn't causing at least really harsh shadows to come on my face. It wasn't bright enough. It was not able to overcome the intense brightness of the sun on this salt surface reflecting everywhere. But it was it was doing well. And so I'm, I have even more confidence and this panic can kind of leave. And now I can focus on the shoot. Now I'm ready to go. So I go help with my wife and, uh, and it's not very long before the ambient light lowers to the point where we think it's now going to work to have the, amb the the artificial lights added to this, the equation and we can start creating some really good images where the family is as bright as the background or the environment. And so we, we take the family over there, we get them positioned within my lighting setup and we, uh, we take a test shot. I move the lights in as close as I can. Like I estimated how far apart the lights needed to be. And I way overestimated to put too much space in between the lights. So I get them as close as I can. We get the power set, right? I, we use the, I, I got the iPad set up so that it's got using the Wi-Fi connection on my Canon 80D camera and it's showing the images and we take a couple of test shots, set the power and we're good to go. It's starting to work good. I hand the I, I can show the iPad to uh, to mom and the clients, and they're all excited because we had even just at the beginning, we already had like they're warmed up. They're used to having a camera poked in front of their face, and we have lights that actually look pretty good. Now they weren't like I had hoped for sure. I'm still having my creative vision is not being fulfilled. I'm still a little disappointed at a little bit of harshness from the lights. They're still just not as soft as I knew I could get it if I had my soft boxes with me. But they're very good images still. The client is thrilled, just super, super happy, raving about them while we're shooting. So I knew we were good. And that helps me to overcome this regret and panic and, and and the things that would really kill could kill my creativity during the shoot with my failure to bring the soft boxes and we move on and we made some we I, I think that we made some incredible images I think the family is is thrilled with what we were able to produce we got some a, a lot of really safe family shots and stuff that we knew was going to work for them to be able to print up a, a really 
good sized family portrait that we knew that was the goal of the client was to, to refresh their house, the, the images that are hanging on the walls of their house. And we had those, we had those captured. Uh, we created those images. So I, as the light was, was leaving, as the ambient light was lowering, we did luck out in this specific situation. We got an incredible sunset, probably the best one I personally witnessed at this location. I've seen some shots where they, it was even better, but it was good. We had these wispy clouds. We had the sun reflecting off of them. We got these red colored sky, red and orange and magenta. These, these tones were there uh, enough that the, the family was looking back at it and just like amazement of like, wow, that is so beautiful. And then we're saying, I know, let's make sure it's in your images. <laughs> let's make sure we create create some images that has that highlighted really well. So my wife's shooting and I'm constantly monitoring with the iPad and moving the lights around so that we are getting what we want out of the shoot. We got those lights. We got some really good shots, the safe shots with the stunning sunset background. And then I... As a sign that I had overcome my failure, overcome the panic that had come because I, as I realized I left the softboxes home, I'm taking it as, as a really good sign that I overcame it because some creativity crept into the shoot. And I don't think even a few years ago, a couple of years, maybe even last year, I would have been able to overcome that panic and that feeling and, and deal with the situation that I had. Um, I've developed since then. I've, I've, my skills have improved. I've, I've gotten better. I am able to respond to problems better because I, I understand better how to use my equipment that I have and how to position people and, and how to, to really just leverage what I have available to me to get the best possible outcome, create the best possible images enough that I now could think about like, well, what can we try? What, how can I push my boundaries and my limits here? How can I try to create something that I've never done before? And we've done some silhouette shots before, um, but silhouettes came to mind. And it's an easy thought to have because you have this really bright background and the foreground is not even lit. The foreground is, is poorly, poorly lit. And, um, you know, we already got the shots where we used artificial light to light the subjects, the models, so that we could get the normal photo where you have them well lit in the background um, showing off. Now I wanted to try to get a silhouette where it was more than just the top part of them. Like you can get, you can take a low perspective and be able to get a the top part of a person to show really clearly against that bright sunset background. But I wanted to have the bottom part show too. I wanted to try to get it so that you could clearly see their legs and their shoes and the silhouette there. So my idea was I want to take the lights from the front and, and trying to light the front of the person. I want to move them to the back and try to make it so that I just get the ring light on the silhouettes. And um, I didn't know if the modifiers I had would work very well. These these are made for being in the front and producing soft light. I, I think there's another lighting setup and I really want to try it to make, make this work even better. But even if it lit up the sun, the, uh, the salt flats area behind them, I was okay with that. It was just, I want to make sure I get this ring light around the silhouette. So I did that. 
and the clients just loved it. I moved those lights to the, behind them. I pointed it at them and we took a few photos and the clients were like, wow, that's amazing. I love it. It was really super fun. I'll put some example images that came out of the shoot. So a couple of my favorites that came out of the shoot into the show notes so you can see what it is I'm talking about. I tell you that part of it, not because it's like the very best lighting setup ever. Like I said, I, I think there's another lighting setup that would work much better for this. But um, I share it because I'm taking it as a big change for me, a big uh, movement in my own path down towards mastering photography that I was able to overcome such a failure <laughs> in my preparation and be able to get to the point where we even did some creative stuff in the shoot. Uh, I think that's a big deal for me, and, and I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that. I hope as you've been listening too that you can kind of see that own progression and development in your work. And if it's if you're not seeing that yet, keep pushing, keep going. Don't give up because you feel like your images aren't matching these highly curated, highly staged, finalized, processed images that you may be comparing yourself against. Those are the very best of the best that other photographers are sharing. Um, they don't share their failures. They don't share their pretty good photos. They only share the best of the best. And just because every image you shoot isn't the best of the best doesn't mean you're failing at this. It means that you have work to do. You have progress to make going down that path towards mastering your photography. And uh, there's everyone's at different points on that path. Not all of our paths even lead to the same end result. Some of us are landscape photographers. Some of us do macro, some astro, some some are doing portraits. Uh, probably a good portion of you are doing portraits. But no matter what genre you're doing, no matter what you're shooting, don't try not to let the discouragement prevent you from continuing down towards the path. Now, if you just hate it, if you're like, this is not appealing to me. Maybe you need to find something else that you want to do. But don't let images that don't live up to others' expectations or what other people are sharing be the thing that stops you from continuing towards mastering your photography. Keep, keep going. You can do it. I am making continual progress in the quality of my images. I still have plenty of room to grow. I am not done growing. It's part of what I like so much about it. There's continual progress and I, I love seeing it. So that's uh, I share that failure with you as I, something I hope is encouraging to all of you. And, um, and I'd love to hear about your failures too. So let's, let's share our failures together <laughs> so that we can all see that it doesn't go perfectly for anybody ever. <laughs> we all have problems and failures. Uh, it's how you react to them and what you, how you deal with it. I think that is kind of the the bigger part of that. It's going to happen. All right, doodads of the week. I'm going to, it's not something you can directly go out and buy usually, but I'm going to reiterate one that I've used in the past. And it's just because it's become such an important part of my workflow as I'm shooting. And that is Wi-Fi in the camera, Wi-Fi camera connection. I am loving, I mentioned several times how we used the incorporated the iPad into our shoot. And we have our clients check out the images that we're captured, we're creating as we're doing it. Uh, it might seem scary because we have those failures. We have images that don't work. We have uh, 
a failure to focus. We have a failure to get the lighting the way we need to get the exposure right. You you have you are opening yourself up a little bit to the client seeing unfinished photos. But I'm finding it so important to get that feedback from them. We make sure we tell them as we're sharing it, like, don't worry about the brightness of the photos. Don't worry about how straight they are even. <laughs> we, my wife has a particular issue with, with keeping her eyes in straight in photos. We, they're, they're almost never straight. And it's okay because she produces such stunning images besides that. That's a trivial thing to fix and post. So, uh, you know, all of that, we, we're up front. Like, don't worry about that. I want you to look at the faces and the position of your family in the photos. And if it doesn't look the way you want, we got to change. It's easier to change it now than to try to deal with it after and do like, you know, pull this face from this image and that face from that image. That is a lot of work. It is so much easier to have the clients be able to tell me right then, uh, hey, I need you over here or that's not your normal face. And, you know, to the kid who's like being crazy because they don't really want to be taking the photos anyway, or dad who's like rolling his eyes or whatever. It's really good to have the client be able to validate that we have things. Plus, when they do work, when there's an image that we create that everything was just spot on, they're already in love with the photo. They are already in love with that image. They're ready to go and buy that image right now. It's beautiful. I love it. It's so much fun. Uh, A couple of things I wish was better, at least from my Canon 80D, this is how it works. I know every camera kind of has a different thing about the Wi-Fi and how it functions. But with the Canon 80D, there's two things that I really wish were better. The first is uh, it takes way too long for the image to transfer from the camera to the iPad over that Wi-Fi connection. And I'm hoping in like future cameras like the R5, I haven't tried something like the 5D Mark IV to see how that is. But uh, in the Canon R5, I'm hoping that they have like a 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection so that it can go much, much faster in transferring the image over there. The other problem is... um, the speeds, you know, enough is still, it's acceptable enough. It's still a really fantastic tool that um, are really helping my shoots. Um, but it tends to mean that the family is now scrolling through the images as we're shooting. Like we're trying to shoot maybe an individual, the family's all gathered around the iPad and they're flipping through the images. Well, at least with the Canon 80D, as they're flipping through the images, the camera becomes like unusable. It's not locked out or anything, but you can't, you you push the shutter button and nothing will happen because, and the camera says busy. And that's because it's currently trying to transfer the image that they're flipping through from the camera to the iPad. And, and so it, it, it makes it tough. Sometimes we've had to say like, Hey, can you guys stop flipping through the photos for just a second while we take some, some pictures here? I love it that they're way excited about the images, but it, it means the camera doesn't even, won't even take a picture <laughs> as we, as you press the shutter button. So good problem to have. I'm really I like it a lot, but I kind of hope that it gets a little better in future versions of the cameras so that it uh, it can work a little bit more seamlessly and, and faster. It would be really fun if that works out. I'm still pretty happy with where it is though, and it's still a valuable tool for me. All right, I'm going to close up the show now. Some reminders, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. You can go check that out. Get Find the show notes. You can see the images I talked about. Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You do have to ask to join that group. We want to keep the spammers and the bots out of there. 
And so you have to name a host of the show, which Jeff will work just great. All you have to do is write Jeff in there. We know you're a listener. When you ask to join and you can get in there, I still see tons of people requesting to join the group that don't answer that question. And we simply will not let you in if you don't answer that question. Um, you can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com or check out my other podcast. It's phototacopodcast.com for that one. That one, I take more of a technical angle towards the podcast episodes. I described like like last week, last episode, where I talked about the five things to look for in a monitor. Those are the kinds of things that I cover on Photo Taco. So you, if, you, if that was an episode you really enjoyed and you found helpful, then you want to go check out Photo Taco Podcast to, to get some more help on that. I'm working really hard on doing some more Lightroom Classic testing to be able to determine just how impactful it is to have more memory in the computer, to have faster storage in the computer, and like uh, 1080p versus uh, 2K display versus 4K display, what kind of a performance impact does that have on Lightroom Classic in particular? So if you're interested in that kind of information, make sure you're subscribed to Photo Taco Podcast. You can find my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram information over in the show notes as well. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you found this helpful to hear about my own failure and can consider your failures to not be as serious as you may have thought them to be. That panic I felt when I first realized I didn't have the soft boxes, it wasn't needed because I had ways to be able to deal with it. Now, I didn't fully know that at the time when that set in, but I I have the skills. I need to, to realize that and, and rely on it. Um, but thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days. 